Okay, so six-pack Lapidat. Um, I'm going to let these gentlemen introduce yourselves as well as quick little background. I think everybody who knows anything about powerlifting will know about yourselves and the coaching services, but let's just pretend they don't and be like, here's a couple of the names I've worked with and here's a couple of names, you know, just a little bit of background real quick so they're caught up. Then we'll start giving some highlights of what we saw at the World Championships. Uh, we can start with yourself, sir. Uh, my name is Mike Tushir, uh, Reactive Training Systems. Uh, let's see who we worked with. So I guess the names immediately coming to mind are from this championship, uh, Sim Rast in the 120 plus, uh, the silver medalist this year, and uh, Isabella von Weissenberg on the 72 kilo women. And uh, there's some others, but man, that last session is draining me. <laughs> well, and, and also for those who don't know, I mean, your resume stretches a lot bigger than like just recent, but I know it's on the top of our heads. But uh, the um, like big names like Brett Gibbs on his eight, ten times body weight in Calgary, and like you know you've been in the game for so long. I remember yeah, you put up a spreadsheet from four, Cal fourteen or so world record holders over the years at this point. So yeah, we uh, come here and and uh, have a good time a lot of times. Not <laughs> not a bad resume. It's a good. It, they say men lie, women lie. Numbers don't, and those are some good numbers, my friend. Um, and yourself, quick introduction, my friend. Yeah, I'm Jason Trombley, representing the Strength Guys. We're a team of 16 based out of Calgary, Alberta. Uh, as far as athletes are concerned, uh, I've worked with Taylor Atwood, Eli Burks, uh, Owen Hubbard, and uh, Yuri Roos of Slovenia for this year's World Championship. Uh, in total, our company had nine athletes competing. Uh, we had two world championship winners in Taylor and Eli, uh, and we set three world records this year. Nicely done. Okay, so um, I liked your idea, Mike. We just saw the 120s, and uh, is it safe to say didn't quite unfold the way we thought it was? Of all of the divisions, um, the 120, the 120 pluses was one of the divisions where it turns into the Ray Williams show, and you're almost watching an exhibition. And I say that as in... Um, usually if you watch a basketball game, if one, one, one team is in the lead by 30 points, people are leaving the stands by the end of the fourth quarter. They don't even watch it. With the Ray Williams and the 120 pluses, it becomes a bit of a walk away. And it's not quite as exciting because usually the outcome is never in doubt. What the fuck happened out there? Right. <laughs> right. That, I, rattled. Yeah. It's a, so usually uh, it's fun to watch because you are watching all these big, gigantic lifts, but the outcome's never really that much in doubt, uh, you know, unless something crazy happens, which this time something crazy did happen, but the field was tight enough together that we actually got to see the big guys have some, some gamesmanship and some, some play for position, which we don't, we see a lot of times in the lighter classes, uh, but we haven't seen in a while for the heavyweights when that was fun. and. Yeah, I'm still kind of uh, <laughs> charged I, I, up from it. I tell you, I don't know why. It's so like, like, like um, I'd spoken to Ray on the Skype, and he, he gave me the background. He's almost like a peek behind the curtain, if you will, because he leads a private life. But I don't know him on a level of like, like Matt Gary knows him, where they feel like family. Still felt weird. Like I feel like some kind, there was some kind of an emotional. Everybody was yeah. felt some kind of ways about it. I don't know if it's because Ray epitomizes what we see powerlifting right now, and it's like seeing our figurehead get rattled in, in bomb. And then even when he bombed, um, when he left and was met on the side with Matt Gary, that was like a real moment. Yeah. Like that was no bullshit moment. 
and Matt Carey met him, and they held, and then he turned around to the crowd that was almost trying to will him to take that last attempt. And because I think everybody kind of realizes, you know, we make ESPN because of him. We make the mainstream because of Ray and everything he, he, he means to the sport. Um, he turned around and he's, he's seen the pack house that like were on their feet clapping like, like get up yeah. champ, get yeah. up champ. And he felt like he didn't get up for them. And uh, I don't, for myself, I think this is chapter one of the best comeback story we're ever gonna see in our sport. But if this is the opening scene of that movie where Rocky gets beat up, you know, and comes back in Belarus, no less, um, I mean, it's, it's a dramatic one. Sure. It was a dramatic setting. And did you guys feel the same way where it just didn't feel, we've seen people bomb. Well, if I saw another champion bomb, I'd be like, oh, wow, didn't expect that. I'm not sure I would feel the way I feel right now and the way I felt at the time. I think you put it really well as far as him being the figurehead. And everybody has this emotional connection with him and, and his lifting. And I mean, that's a, a big part of the reason why they're here to begin with is uh, that's why the 120 pluses gets packed out that yeah. way. And, and uh, nobody wants for him to do anything other than lift something crazy, you know? So yeah, it hurts, hurts everybody. And then, uh, you know, everybody hurts on his behalf. Yeah. You know? I don't think, I don't think that he's ever bombed out of a competition before. And not at this level. I mean, I, in my competitive days, I definitely have, and it sucks. Uh, but I can't imagine what it would be like to have the kind of successful career that he's had and then have this to be a, it's a new kind of disappointment, and I, I feel for the guy. I, I, man, I hope you're right that the best comeback story ever. That would be awesome because nobody roots against Ray Williams. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. You're right. How do you feel? Uh, likewise, I was in the audience, and uh, it was like everyone. The stadium was absolutely packed for this. Uh, it was like everyone just wanted to will him to get the weight up on his third attempt, and uh, his opener. I mean. Uh, he wasn't able to move it uh, too far up out of the hole. And then his second attempt, you could tell, like, further up. And then third attempt, like, he almost got the thing. Almost right? like, only he, from Will alone. Yeah, you, know, you, like, you could tell that everyone there uh, wanted him to get it. And that was special. Um, you know, I, I hurt for, for Ray and I, I hurt for uh, Matt Gary and, and Susie Gary. Um, they're, they've been two mentors of mine. Uh, I've had two lifters bomb out from competition before, uh, as Matt or as Mike says, it, it sucks, mm. and uh, it's also a defining moment, right? You can get up off the campus and mm -hmm. uh, bounce back from that. So, uh, I hope to see that. I hope their best days are ahead. Uh, I know that uh, Ray's a hardworking athlete, and I know that he's got a great coach and. And Matt Gary, so I have trust in his brain trust yeah. as well that they'll do it. It does in a lot of ways. So him bombing because he epitomizes so much, and there's so much weighing on him, and he realizes this. Um, when he bombs, I think he it's it's more hurtful because if I bomb or, or a lot of almost anybody besides him bombs, it's that look at Brett. Brett Gibbs is a phenomenally popular athlete. If he bombed. It's Brett, and it's kind of just on Brett. He's disappointed. Some of his fans are disappointed, but um, he's, he's carrying on himself. Ray, to an extent, might even feel like 
it's bigger than me and I realize the picture here, um, being the poster boy, so if I bomb, he might feel he let so many people down. When I walked into the warm-up room, Matt Gary's first impression when he saw me, and he saw me coming, and he knew I, I was gonna ask what happened. First things out of his mouth, it's on me. And then Ray was within earshot, and, and Matt was, it's on me, this is, this is me. I'm, I'm wearing this. And almost like he wants to shield Ray, like that's his, like the older brother instinct the, that they have. It, it, was, it was tough to see because, because of the situation in his first instinct, like, 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 a, like a family member type would be, is like, I'm gonna take this, I'll carry it, you don't carry this. And then Ray heard that and was like, it's on me, Matt. It's me who was under the bar, it's on me. And they had this moment where neither person wanted the other guy to carry that. You know, neither person wanted the other man because they both knew what it meant. You know, and uh, it, man, these, these sporting moments are tough, but it's, you feel it, it, all of a sudden it shows a human side that for him, it sets up for him to come back. He is now more relatable that you've seen that. It's, he's now not, sometimes you forget he's human. When you see him hurting, when you see people like wanting to protect, protect Ray Williams. Yeah. Nobody needs to protect Ray Williams. Some people, like that's, you know, he's vulnerable. He's human. And it's, uh, you come back from this, you could be twice as big. You're, you're more relatable. It's a better story. Nobody likes Superman because he never loses. Okay, those movies suck. But the guys who are vulnerable, the X-Men style, sure. those guys you can actually go with. Um, and that's kind of why I say this could be a, a massive comeback story. Yeah. Um, and by the way, Ray is at the hospital. I guess it got way worse. He started throwing up. Things started going bad backstage. And Matt's like, look at man, this isn't, you've lost a lot of weight quick. Um, and now you just were on a like, heavy load. Uh, let's get you out of here. Matt was going to do this podcast and explain a lot. Couldn't make it. He's going to be right right side, and uh, we'll catch up with him afterwards. Um, did you guys have any other thoughts on that one, or do you think we... Man, well, I, have, I suppose I have some thoughts, uh, just because we were coaching Sim Rast, and, man, I can't tell you how proud I am of that guy, because he's been to... It's either four or five world championships so far, and like he's one of these guys that's just grinding, grinding through. He he's consistent. He shows up. He gets better, and he gets better. And then you keep showing up, and one day an opportunity opens. And this is the first time that he's been on the podium. And today he he won the silver medal. And I'm just just thrilled for the guy. You know? Yeah, it, he didn't he didn't need Ray to bomb for him to get on the podium uh, coming in in silver. He did have a phenomenal. I was mentioning on the on the commentary. He does seem to be improving. Like his squats, he's a huge man, hits depth. There's no question. So when people say, like, well, dynamically speaking, that man was nailing the, his depth and coming up out the hole fast. Um, I was actually mentioning that on the commentary as it's taking place. Yeah, I got to agree. You can see the progress in him from showing up, getting experience to, I'm going to be on the podium regardless what medal I should medal. I'm with the big boys now. Um, whether or not Ray bombed or not, he would have been on the podium, and I would just moves up a slot. And, and it is, um, in ter- like I, I was talking to Jezza about it, this shows you, and I don't know if you guys seen the post by Jen Milliken. She posted today, and this is somewhat ironic. She posted today, show up. She said, because like, you see a lot of people, they pull out. They're not 100%. Then they're hitting numbers in the gym. It's like, Matt, should you have pulled out, though? Um, and, and 
sometimes they question themselves, if I'm not gonna give 100% on the world stage, if I'm only giving 80%, I don't know how it's gonna look, I don't know how, how I'm gonna be judged. If everyone else is at 100% like the 83 kilo boys were, I'm not just gonna be second or third, I'm gonna be 10, and I should at least at worst be third. So then you start thinking, holy fuck, if I'm expected to maybe win worst day third and I come in at 10th, because 83 kilo, if you weren't 100%, you'd be at 10th. So your, your mind plays these negative stories. And Jennifer Milliken um, took an injury and decided I'm not gonna go. And um, watching a live stream, and it takes, I, like I love, like Jennifer Milliken, she, it takes a lot to say, look, and I'm gonna tell you straight up, a lot of people would be like, watch the stream and be like, you know what, I stand by my decision. Just don't wanna give. No, you know what, I did the right decision. She said, I'm gonna tell you right now, fuck the, the front, because a lot of, like I love that women are, they don't give a shit about the ego dropped in and said, watching that stream, like, I think I made a mistake. I, opportunities, they, they, they just don't come every day. You don't know. Show up, and you never know. You play these possibilities of dropping into 10th and being embarrassed, but you forget every opportunity. If you show up 10 times, that one time you hit it out the park and everything aligns, the other guys aren't always going to be 100%. And you're not, and you might have that fucking Maria T moment where you could go for that pull a hundred times and hit it once. But goddamn, when you hit that and connect on that ball, it's gonna go right out there and you're gonna make history. And Jennifer Milken said, if anyone's reading this, I'm one of the people who pulled, show up. Oh, that's the biggest step up to the plate and swing the bat. Yeah. And, um, your man there at scene, Jezza Seed, and, and there's like other ones down through the rankings, less heralded, that yeah. might have got on the podium, and maybe you don't realize that was a fucking crazy finish for them. Yeah. You know? And that's sports. Uh, very rarely have I ever showed up and been like, I wish I didn't try. I wish I didn't put myself <laughs> out there. You know? Well, that's why, that's why we have to conduct the meet, right? We don't just send in the nominations and give out medals. Yeah. You have to, you have to show up and see who lifts what. Uh, David Wilson wouldn't be here. If that was the case, David Wilson, two-time world champion coming in, um, Ashton Ruska, who will light you on fire if you show up at a local meet, and, and U.S. Nationals as well sometimes. He's won Nationals as well. Um, David Wilson might have all the reason in the world to be like, Why? like fuck, I, I'm not going to beat a lot of these guys, and did, and shows up at Worlds and, and ends up on the podium. So 100%. There's a lot of takeaways here. Yeah. Um, so there, there's some big highlights from the 120s. Uh, or 120 pluses, sorry. 120s, what I will say is, Tony Cliff, damn, man. I'm so happy for the guy. Nine yeah. for nine, just perfect day. Yeah. I mean, he's another one that's, that's in a similar situation to Sim, who's been showing up every year, being consistent, getting better. This was a big total for him. Yeah. And he's another guy that I'm just so happy that it came together for him. He finally... You know, has his world title now. It's I feel like so he good. stayed in the pocket so well. They played him so well where um, just do what you think you need to to get ahead and then let these other guys have to take chances. When Eric Willis, uh, Canada's golden boy, who won in Calgary, first Open World Champion for Canada, when he started faltering in those squats, only got one squat in, Tony was in a position where, all right, well, I don't have to take risks. I can stay in the pocket. I got the lead. You have to take a risk to catch up. So played the game perfect. Um, and they and they like the British team. They're they're pretty like they came in third overall for the women's. I'm not sure where they are for the men's, but they're roughly also third, roughly around there. Who came in second? You know, in Canada. Did, did they? Okay, yeah. that's pretty good. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, they played they played a good game. 
And, uh, oh, yeah, there we are. Oh, Russia. And now, what? Russia, Algeria. Algeria. So USA was first. Russia was second. Algeria was third. And Canada was one point behind Algeria for fourth. Then Poland, then Great Britain. Well, I would not have suspected Algeria would be number third. They really, they really brought it on. Just because off the top of my head, I can't picture um, their champions. But obviously, it's a game of consistency, collecting points. As long as you're, even if off podium, and you get nothing but fours across the board all right. the time. Right. And I think it looks like that's kind of how the points worked out. A lot of, a lot of placements, not all medals even. Yeah. But just consistently getting people to place. Um, if, if we can throw down, because at the end of the broadcast, they said, give us your top three moments of, of, the, of the IPF World Championships. And I've been calling uh, like two weeks straight. Did, like, you know, I, there's a lot. But off the top of my head, you know, I'd be, obviously I'm Canadian, but even Canadian or not, Maria T in the 57 kilo, and Maria, a lady who's hit the podium so many times, bombed out in 2016. She's tasted it all except that world title. She's been the favorite coming in before, lots of pressure. And in this situation, happened to be toe-to-toe with Megan Scanlon, who turned into a beast in her training. She was taking the world record squat for doubles, um, the type of, type of number she was shifting, hit a world record squat. Um, I think she took two world records, and uh, at the very end, it looked like I was all but putting the gold medal around Megan Scanlon's neck with my commentary. When, she, when Maria T missed her second deadlift on strength, and then Megan Scanlon comes out for her third and hits. I basically threw the gold medal around Megan Scanlon's neck with the commentary saying, phenomenal, we've never seen this before in a 57 kilo, and we had, her total was a world record right there. We had, she, she right there was still the best 57 kilo uh, lifter we've ever seen. And then for Maria T to be like, I know I missed this with all my second on strength, load up the bar for the win. Uh, you probably could have, the, the amount of people that would have thought she would have hit that, you could have kept them, counted them on one hand, and they all had the last name T. <laughs> okay? Like, it was, it was not conceivable. Yeah. Usually, you tug on the bar, you pull the slack out of the bar, you wave to crowd thank you, and you walk off. And I say as commentary, well, she did the right thing. Silver wasn't in jeopardy. Do the Hail Mary pass. And it happens all the time. Yeah. For her to have hit that and become the first Canadian woman to win the Open for myself... It was a phenomenal powerlifting moment. Yeah, that was an amazing moment. Uh, I was sitting next to Taylor's father in the audience, and I'm Canadian, he's American, so I think we picked our sides based yeah. on that. Fair. Um, and we saw Maria, uh, who we've competed against in Canada in the 63 kilo category, uh, which of course she moved down from uh, after she won that class at nationals in order to take on Meg Scanlon. Um, and she had this issue on deadlift where Basically, the bar would get ripped out of her hands uh, because her grip, she would lose her grip on her thighs. And saw 190, it moved well, but then there it goes. And loads up 197 and a half. And I, I told uh, Taylor's father, who, uh, if anyone follows Taylor, you know how he's always there and he's an intense guy. Uh, you load it up and you tell someone it's for the world championship, crazy shit can happen. And then we watched that weight go up. And uh, for me, I'd say, aside from our own athlete performances, uh, as a Canadian, I, I just felt proud. Uh, congratulations to Maria. 
And uh, congratulations to Megan as well, because those mm-hmm. were two phenomenal uh, performances. So for me, that was my favorite moment as a spectator. Yeah, I think Megan, like sometimes when you win a close one, uh, you don't know how you feel about it. You're a little disappointed. Um, we seen like Sam Calhoun was a little disappointed. Um, but Megan Scanlon, with her performance, she, she, I seen her backstage. She was all smiles. She's like, hey, fuck. I put the biggest total we'd ever seen up to that point. If she's going to Hail Mary past that, what am I going to do? Like, that, that's, it is what it is. I mean, it, it's powerlifting. And, and at this level, there is some uh, strategy involved and all that. But if you lift the most that you're capable of lifting on the day, that's all you can do. Yeah. All the strategy in the world can't take you any further than that. You yeah. Know? And, and just from looking at Megan's lifts, I think that she either did that or got very close to that. So for me as a coach, I would try to encourage my athletes never to feel bad about that because that's all you can control. You know, you did everything that you could do. Feel feel good about doing that and, and yeah, enjoy that moment. You know? uh, for yourself, what moments stand out at these world championships? Well, that one is is a big one, uh, and for me, like I've got a lot of uh, I guess emotional investment in the seventy twos as well because I, I work with Isabella, and uh, I was just really happy with how that went as well. She came in, uh, you know, even like just from the weigh in, everything started clicking. Things were going according to plan. You know, she uh, hit a world record squat um, at 203. Uh, it was obviously a personal best. She had a personal best bench that she's been working on for a while. Uh, hit a, a personal best deadlift in total. Um, ended up in the bronze medal position. I mean, we were, same thing, we were all smiles because at the end of the day, I think she was within, you know, if we're going to play the hindsight game yeah. and say if we had, you know, picked every attempt absolutely perfectly, we were probably within five kilos, you know, mm-hmm. of, of that maximum limit. Uh, and I think that's pretty good, you know. Yeah. So that's enough to feel good about. And she's happy that she came and performed well. And, yeah. That 72-kilo class, to, to hit the podium um, <laughs> as a bronze medal in the 72-kilo class, that was a shark tank. I mean, uh, you couldn't, like, one through five could win in any given day. And, uh, yeah, Isabella, I felt like for the first time, like, she's had obviously some good showings, but this was almost like the unveiling, here was what I'm capable of. Like for the first time you saw, like even during, when you're watching the squats and you're watching the bench and we're entering the deadlifts and you see all of them, you're like, I can actually, for the first time, like without any sunshine say, I can see a clear path to victory. It can happen for real. You don't even need people to miss. You know, it can happen and, and you actually believe. Other people are like stepped up and, and everyone starts stepping up and pushing each other and reaching a little higher. But um, I think Isabella now has revealed those top three, that podium, any given day, it could shift around. Um, the one thing that, and obviously uh, Jessica Bittner, uh, as a Canadian, I got to say, like, holy shit. Yeah. Um, talk about a first open experience being like, hey, I, I won the juniors. I'm here now. And everybody's like, wait, oh, like, we got to deal with you. Maybe not a whole lot longer. I'm hearing she's probably going to go to 84 kilo. But, and holy smokes, her entering the 84 kilo parlay is going to be, be amazing. One. But um, Kimberly Walford, I want to get you guys' opinions. So her, her dynasty, and we just saw with Ray Williams, how unlikely it is for a human being to just never get sick, never get, or not say never, but never have that fall on a Nationals or World's date. 
the consistency of just not getting sick, injured, having off days, and, and it's so deep a division, you can't be anything more than 100%. For her to take time off, be in her early 40s, step on there in the hardest division, women's, maybe even including the men's, it's debatable whether you think 93 kilo takes that, but it's up there, and to pull it all off with the last deadlift. And she needed that last deadlift. And when you watch powerlifting, it's easy to say, well, she always does, she'll hit it. But we now know, we can't keep saying, well, it will, it just always will. It's, it's not automatic. We can't take the pressure off. Like, when she walked out there, when she hit it, it felt like it didn't matter what you load, she was going to hit it. But you gotta respect the fact that time after time after time, when she needs it and digs it, she pulls it up. And for a woman in her early 40s to just not be getting injured and losing steam and keep pulling it out no matter who has the most amazing performances, with her, with her most recent win rate there, given it's a comeback, she had gone, came back, early 40s, and dealing with the shark tank she just did, does this make her, A, the greatest female powerlifter of all time, jumping ahead of Jen Thompson, B, is that the best powerlifting resume period of all time, given not only how many titles, we're saying classic division, not equipped, not just how many titles she's won, but also the depth of competition she has to face. Titles are nice, but if you're Sergei Fedoshenko, God bless, the depth of competition isn't there. I like I liked that time after time, but you're not getting pushed. Would she, where is she in that argument? She's on Mount Rushmore for sure. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I've personally had enough uh, dogs in those fights yet to uh, rank them. But um, having the last pull is the greatest advantage you can have, right? When you can load it up for the win. And uh, in order to win as many times as she has as a coach, uh, strength can be so volatile. Like if you don't have your peaking process down, how are you going to make weight? Uh, your travel plans, your mindset, everything, competition day nutrition, uh, that total is going to be off. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, Nobody's invincible, right? We're all human. So I think the thing that's most impressive about her ability to just keep on winning uh, has to be the process behind the scenes that she can consistently bring it every year. Um, and that class is an absolute dogfight. Like the difference between first and third was seven kilos this <laughs> year. So it's uh, nuts. It's a fun one. Yeah. Yeah, she's, she's at the top of the list for me because I, I don't know anybody. Well, there, there's not anybody who can <laughs> compete with that resume. Um, I mean, to have never lost in competition, at least to, to my knowledge, at least at, at any sort of larger competition, most likely any competition ever, just never lost. Like, it, that's nuts. And, and it's not like it's a short resume either. She's been <laughs> yeah. doing this for a while. You yeah. Know? I mean, it's insane. Um, so, yeah, she's... She's at the top of the list for me. I would have to agree uh, for all the things you just listed. I can't fathom. And it isn't like she's in a unique weight class where the competition isn't deep. Um, she's, she's in the Shark Tank every single year. Um, and and let's also talk about, because we were talking about like peaking. Like for me, a guy like Brett Gibbs, he's built for powerlifting, all, of, all the dimensions, et cetera. And he's always in the thick of things. In terms of competitive weight classes, 83 kilo is a Shark Tank as well. Um, but the emergence of a Russell Orhe, he looked crazy strong in training. And um, sometimes when he showed up, you're like, didn't quite put it together. 
you know, uh, and I think that's fair. He would say it himself. I'm capable. You know, I'm capable. I know you've seen 800 kilo. I broke into 800 kilo. But we're all telling ourselves, man, what I've seen you put in the gym, you should be, it should be, if you, when you put that together, you know, but can he put it together? On that day, when he defeated Brett, when he squatted 313, for me, I was like, holy moly, it was 690. And he's actually 10, 10 pounds away from 700. Um, I was like, I 100% could see within the next, like not very, like this year, he could, nationals, someone her could fall. Um, and then on bronze on bench press, for him, the bench press has always been his Achilles heel. From the hit podium on bench press now, he's covering these potholes that he used to have. And then on that deadlift, 325, holds it at the top of the smile. And for perspective, 325 is like a kilo and a half off the world record. He didn't need it. Um, he could have got greedy and probably took it. But it just felt like this young man on this day was unstoppable. Joined the 10 times bodyweight club, um, 833, which is also a world record, taking it from Brett. The emergence of Russell Orihi, it looks scary. Um, he's a little hit and miss. But if he's on and you meet him when he's on, now Brett, little hit and miss, you know, we've seen seven, seven, nine, five, we've seen eight, whatever, lower, then we've seen 830. Um, if those two ever both put in an 830 plus toll at the same time, like it's, you can pull each other out of position though if you fall behind after you catch up. And that's a perfect world where Russell went nine for nine and Brett went nine for nine. And we all know nine for nine days are. Few and far between when we're talking realistic. But what do you think is going to happen in the future between these two? Have we seen the emergence of a new man who's going to take this and run? Or is it just too close and these guys are going to be like Pete Sampras and Andre Agassi and it's just going to be back and forth for the, the conceivable future? I think those, those are the two guys that are raising the bar. But that entire class was absolute madness. It, it seems like if you don't squat 600 pounds, you're a bum. So what the shit? I remember John Hack, Brett Gibbs. There's two of them, and that was it. Now one through like 15 are squatting for 600. Yeah, uh, I remember like back when uh, the inflection point in that class really happened was at uh, Scranton Raw Nationals, where John Hack uh, competed. And I remember that my lifter John Downing, he's one of our staff members as well, uh, had the American squat record at 272.5, 600 pounds. And uh, John Hack came out and just drilled 277 and a half. And then at Worlds, it's like, you know, it was 290 or something, I think he put up. Um, John, yeah, no, I think it was 298. Yeah, uh, yeah. and ever since, it's, it's just been going up and up and up. And uh, <laughs> two years ago, like, we had a lifter in uh, Belarus, Yuri Rus of Slovenia, uh, who squatted 277 and a half and got a, uh, got a medal for that. And this series, like six or eight or something yeah. with that same squat. So, yeah, you get lost in the mix with that squat. Yeah, truly, uh, the 83 class for me was the most competitive. Uh, it was an absolute dogfight on the men's side. Uh, and it was so fun to, to coach in that session. So, Do you think the future looks like, um, because it's so tight, anyone can step up from anywhere. You got Sean Arrega who didn't even compete, but he's, he's totaled, I believe, 800 as well. Do you think it's anybody's, or do you think... What Russell displayed, if he builds upon that on top of, are we seeing a, a, a more solidified, firm champion? Because as good as Brett is, it's too competitive. He can't hang on to it for too many years in a row. Or is it always going to be that way because 83 kilo class, it's too competitive? What, what would you say? 
Oh man, that's that's a hard one. It does seem like uh, Russell is improving uh, rapidly lately, which is, I mean, that's what we like to see. I'm I'm a fan of the sport, right? So that that's fun to see. Uh, I can't help but root for Brett as well. Um, and I mean, you just it makes me want to kind of get back in the lab and and start working on stuff. You know, I mean, uh, yeah. It, there's always something to, to be worked on, right? So, yes, And I'm yes. sure it's the same for all those guys, too. Like, okay, what can I do to, to hold on to this position a little bit longer? What, you know, so if that was a, an 820 total, you know, how do I get back to 830? How do I push the horizon even further, you know? So, man, it's, that's the fun part. Do, do you think, do you guys think it's always going to be a volatile back and forth? Yeah. Or do you foresee an emergence of a new star? Um. He's Hats a star, off. but um, is it going to be always back for Yeah, first off, uh, hats off to Russ. Like, he absolutely brought it. Uh, 100% brought it. <laughs> that was as close to a perfect day as I've seen. Yeah. And, uh, nine for nine? Off. Was that, that was nine for nine, if less I'm mistaken. Yeah, he didn't miss a lift. I mean, and it won't always be nine for nine. But when, when a guy that's strong, like Brett or him, goes nine for nine, watch yourself. Yeah. But I, I can see Brett coming back next year and it just being a dogfight round he's, two he's, all over again. He's capable. So. He's, we know he's capable. Yeah. I know he was having some, some quad issues and stuff that was disruptive to his training. And, and it's, it's just really difficult to put it together on back-to-back years like that. I mean, that is not to be understated, you know. And it's like the more I'm, I'm in this, the more appreciation I have for people that put it together back-to-back years, that that's a big deal, you know? Um, so, like, for him, you know, it, it's tough. And the competition was, was you know, beyond world-class. You know, it was it, the best we've ever seen, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's, that's tough. So we get back to the lab and crank on it some more. That's know? right. That's right. Everybody's going to have to race their game. Um, let's get the 74 kilo real quick because uh, speaking of <laughs> a little fist bump there. Speaking of a dominant performance, first off, uh, best lifter, champion and champions award. Um, he went, again, a nine for nine day, but it wasn't, so he, he wasn't pressed. We wanted a showdown. It'd be amazing if he had what the 83 kilo had because, you know, more people would get all jazzed up about it and look back like, oh, my God, that was an amazing game. And, oh, my God, that was an amazing session. However, it wasn't like he stayed in the pocket for his back-to-back win. It wasn't like, I think we could start dragging our feet. Total opposite goes nine for nine while extending the limit beyond anything we'd ever seen. He'd be competitive a weight class up. It, what I respect is the fact that the win's locked up. But he's pushing it, and he's like, all right, if my competition is in my weight class, then fuck it, it's everybody else. Every other champion who showed up at these world championships, now you're on the hit list, and he becomes the champion to champion award. Um, what were your thoughts on that? I know I've seen you immediately afterwards, and you were a, little, a stitch emotional, my friend. Yeah. I know it's a long time coming. Uh, what were your thoughts when that happened? Well, uh, Taylor, Ben, uh, Scott, and everyone in, in- in our corner, really, we really wanted that one. Um, Kel is a great champion. Uh, he came around in Belarus from 83 kilo equipped class. He came down to the 74 class and did something that back then, like 757 and a half, were like, what? Huge. Yeah. Yeah. Like you were winning worlds with 725 the year before. 
And he came around and did that. And it was a kick in the pants that we needed to really um, not only get Taylor to on his way to fulfilling his potential, but also to do that for my own coaching and uh, for the strength guys as a company. Because we realized we really have to get better. Like, this guy smoked us. And so we went back to the drawing board. Uh, I partnered with Ben Escrow, uh, who had already at that time coached three world champions. Uh, and raw powerlifting hasn't been around for that long for worlds. So uh, I was quite impressed with Ben's resume. And um, Taylor kind of took off. And we won last year. Uh, that was sweet in its own way because it was in my hometown of, of Calgary, Alberta. Um, and afterwards, like Taylor and his, his fiance, or well, Taylor uh, enga got engaged uh, with Laura, his fiance. Uh, and it's a beautiful moment. But we didn't get to compete against Kiel. Yeah. And so it was a win. You needed to get back. Yeah. Uh, we wanted that one, and it was competing from start to finish. Like, uh, we got the world record on squat. Uh, Taylor finally got over the hump on bench press where I think when Ben and I are calling attempts, we're watching you and we're saying, what's the limit you can do? And then minus two and a half or five, right? Like uh, you don't want to always write the line. Yeah. And so for Taylor to get 195 loaded up on bench was a significant moment. And mm. I know he was very happy about finally hitting that because he was stuck at 192 and a half for basically two years now. And then on deadlift, I got in his ear, uh, and I'm like, this is for champion of champions. And then the possibility opened up, because Kiel took his second at 310, um, which was what we were going to plan for our third. I'm like, hey, we could pull for gold if he missed his third attempt as well. Uh, so it was competition from start to finish in that class. Uh, we wanted to, to win everything we could. Uh, I'm so proud of Taylor. We wrote the line. Uh, he had a great performance. And uh, to my knowledge, according to open powerlifting, uh, no male powerlifter uh, on an international stage has ever had a higher IPF point score than 881.74, which is what Taylor had uh, oh, at wow. Worlds this year. So. Super cool, and uh, I'm so proud. Yeah, yeah, Taylor, and, and it should be said, um, Chell from Norway, he he wanted to give more, and you could tell, like leading into, he was trying to do his part. He was on the podcast calling out Taylor, bring your best, and it wasn't in like a anything against Taylor. He, I know because he listens to podcasts and whatnot, and he knows like for us to have a build up, the hack Gibbs, um, Gibbs versus Orhi, Amanda versus Mello. Uh, it, it, you, need, you need some kind of a showdown for people to show interest. He tried to be that guy. He came in. It wouldn't have mattered if he's at 100% because Taylor's, obviously, that was a historic total. It, it probably wouldn't have mattered. But, and, he, and he probably seen some writing on the wall. Well, like I think my top end probably isn't there. But I'm going to do my best. Hype it up. Bring what I got. And it wasn't even his best. It, it fell below. Um, even if he approved a pawn, probably a big ass. But... Um, I mean, this is what champions do, man. This is how the sport goes sometimes. Like, Mike, you hit the nail right on the head. The more you watch, the more you're like, when someone can consistently be around the same mark every time over and over, year after year, it's like, how can you do it? Especially when the competition is, is this deep. Um, another one I liked, Charles Apoko, 66-kilo class. Uh, the rematch with Gladkick and um, the heads. It, it was a decent go, but Charles really also came in his own as well, young guy. I remember for a little bit, 
um, when Keith McHoney wasn't making the team, everyone's like, you know, I think he was, everyone's a little uh, surprised about that initially when, when Charles made the team in 2018. And then um, Charles came through and said, McHoney's a phenomenal lifter, but I could pull it off. Like, don't, don't look past me. I'm not, I don't have the fanfare. McHoney had a lot more exposure, but, but I can make my ground. He was a young guy, not tested yet at international scene, unseated, a two-time champion like Gladkick. And then he said, look at these worlds. I'm going to put a spread between us and won't be nearly as, as, as close. And he's starting to put that spread. A couple things. Um, Taylor has flirted with entering the 83s, which would be a phenomenal show. Jessica Bittner has flirted with the 84s, which already were a phenomenal show. Um, and before I, I, just before we do a quick look ahead, let me just quickly see, is there anyone else? Uh, in 90, Anatoly in 93, consummate professional. He had hit 850 before. He was my pick. Uh, the Americans looked solid. Um, Gustafsson did an amazing job. Everyone did their part. Um, LS, I think, didn't have the greatest day, but he did what he could. But uh, I just went with him as a pick because he hit 850 at Europeans. was international level. And um, he basically duplicated that. But um, I think any given day, the Americans could step up. And if Ashton Rushka makes an international team, Sean Moser as well, uh, two-time Arnold Classic champion, uh, has beat LS in two consecutive years. So, yeah, the, uh, it's, it's the U.S. ninety-three kilo class is stacked to say at least. Nationals is insane. Yeah, like it's tough, yeah. tough going. What did you guys think about the Amanda Lawrence Daniela Mello? Um... Gosh, that was an interesting one to watch. Um, it had a bit of a different feel. Um, Maybe because it was two Americans uh, competing in, against each other, it had a different feel than than the other events. Um, it almost for for me. So I, I was just watching it as a as a spectator, and I'm watching the, the two lifters, and it felt almost clinical through the squats and the bench that they almost mirrored each other on on jumps. Um, you know, they were pushing. Their, their limits, but it didn't seem as though uh, there wasn't the clash that we were looking for. Uh, and even on, even on deadlift, it seemed like as the attempts wore on, there was a bit more of it, uh, and then eventually, you know, somebody has to win at the end, right? Yeah. Uh, but it, it didn't, it felt very clinical to me as a, as a spectator. I don't know how, if you felt the same way or... Um, it was definitely, you know, it, it, was, it was an entirely different situation. Not only are they both on Team America, um, they both have the same personal coach in terms of uh, training, programming, and then that's happened before. That's not a big deal. But um, usually, like, Team America kind of splits up. But that personal training coach was also there as well, which makes it a different dynamic as well. Um, I, don't, I, I wasn't back there to see. None of us, I don't think, heard conversations going on but uh, it would be, it would feel different. All I saw, like uh, Joey Flex is a personal coach and he, he had the deck stacked. He was coming with a world champion. <laughs> All right, so that's good odds for him. But he was coming to the front with Amanda, but was he giving guidance as well for, for Daniela? Um, I, I, think he, I think he was to a certain extent, but it's, it's kind of tough because there's going to be, we're, we're going to go for a chip. Well, we're going to go for it. We're, we're going to wait for their attempt to go in. Then we're going to chip that for a world record because we want to chip. Well, we're going to we're going to put a placeholder dead. Well, we're going to you know there's it's tough to strategize when you're on both. 
it's also tough to strategize if you're going opposing when you're looking across and there's my coach. I know what it's like when, let's say you programmed for me for months and we're close and you brought me to world championships and, and you're my guy and we've been through the highs and lows, you walk me through these dog fights and then we show up and you program me for this one and all the conversations then. I don't know if Joey was handling, but he sh sure was coming to the sidelines with the other person if I was Daniela and you were Amanda. So I don't know how it affect me emotionally, mentally, or how it throw. So there's a lot of factors. I don't think it's because I wasn't in the back room. I could only see when they come to the side. I didn't see American coaching staff there a lot. I saw Sean and I saw, saw Sean Norega and Joey Flex, but I know there was coaching staff involved. So I'm not sure if the coaching staff is making the attempts totally, if they gave them more leeway than they usually would, or if it's a little bit of a, you know, Sean and Joey both giving input, but like that seems tough when it's going to be decisions involving strategy. When two people are that closely matched in strength, you sometimes have to get strategic and be like, we need to push them, or if we have the lead, we need to maintain the lead. We have to do certain things. So, um, it's difficult to play chess against yourself. Against yourself? Or at the very least, play chess against the person who knows you through and through, knows all your top end. Yeah. You, even if you, even if, and I don't know how much Joey was involved with picking Melo's attempts, because that would be Joey sure. playing chess against himself. So even if it wasn't that, um, even if I'm trying to play chess against you, but you, you know what I'm, my cards are. Because you know every single top single I had. You know how my water cut went. You know if it's been going good, injuries. You know everything. I can't bluff. Yeah. I can't bluff. I can't go out there and be like, I'm going to fucking crush it dead. Can't you be like, holy shit, what's, where's my top end? And I'm going to put a placeholder and I'm going to hold it. And I'm going to scare the shit out of you. You're going to be like, but, but, but you can't. Because I know your top end and you're bluffing me. And you, like, so it gets tough. Like, there's a lot of dicey things. If neither of them, if all of them are completely out, like, like I, I know it, it was different. And, um, but I, I, again, I don't know. It would be interesting to, to hear what they have to say about it, you know, and, and to kind of to get the insider's take on that session because it's such an interesting session, you know, yeah. but it would, Jason, how, how would you, how would you coach that if, if you had two athletes or have you had two athletes in the same session like that? I have, yeah. but definitely not like one or two by yeah. a runaway country mile for the world champion. It was, like, it's very no. unique. I've never seen this in the world's yeah. happen. Listen, I've never seen in my life seen in the world's country mile, same country, same personal coach, and he happens to be there, and it's, I've never seen this scenario. So, so before we sure. go in, let's just say we haven't seen it. Joey hasn't seen it. U.S. hasn't seen it. I think they all just operated in good faith with the heart in the right place. But, uh, what, what, yeah, it was, it was different. Yeah, uh, to answer Mike's question, what... I would do is I would remove myself from the back area uh, and I would just be a fan for the lifters. Um, this past year, like in the 83 kilo category, we had two lifters who, again, they weren't one and two in the world, but they were in the top 10, both of them. Uh, Owen Hubbard came in six, made a pull for the podium, but uh, ripped out of his hand. Mm -hmm. And uh, Yuri Roos came in 10. And I knew going in, uh, just because I'm in, I'm their coach. Uh, I knew that Owen's top end strength was a bit higher, just a bit, than what uh, Yuri's top end strength was. But uh, I told the Great Britain team and I told their coach, uh, Alfred Chong, uh, handle Owen. I didn't have a copy of his meat strategy on me on, on game day. I'm like, handle him. 
I will be in the audience. I will be cheering, let's go, Owen. Uh, I almost lost my voice in the process. So you uh, weren't handling Yuri as well? I was, I was with Yuri uh, and Ben, and Ben and I were calling Yuri's numbers. Okay. Uh, and that's how I chose to handle that. But really interesting case study in what should a coach do? Yeah. Because, um, you, yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's, what do it's, you do? It's a, it, you're right. It's a unique situation. I've not been in that situation, actually. But as a, from an athlete's perspective, if I'm, if I'm the athlete there, I think I want somebody who's only advocating for me, who's, they, they don't care, they're not looking at anybody else's numbers or anything, they're solely concerned about helping me get as, the highest placement that I can get. I mean, that's what I would want if I'm the athlete. Um, so, yeah. I think the interesting rebuttal to that is there's only so many weight classes in powerlifting. And if we have, I know RTS is great lifters in many different weight classes, and so do we. Uh, how do we handle that? I suppose that's where, like, it would be something like what you're describing. It's a benefit of having a staff or being on a national team that there are good, there's a variety of good coaches, and you can get plugged into somebody who can give you good inputs, valuable inputs, valuable strategies, so you can focus on the lifting there in that moment. Um, it's it's an agency problem, right? Like you want you want your agent, you want somebody who can who can fight on your behalf. You you don't hire a lawyer who's the prosecutor and the defendant. You know you have somebody who's just here for you. Yeah. You know, and that's I feel if I was the athlete, that's what I would want. If I was an athlete, uh, that's what I would want as well. Uh, but also as a business owner, um, we went down this, I guess, three times now over the past year where we've uh, had interest or had a competitor in the same division that wants to sign up. And each time we're like, man, what do we do? Um, if we're a business owner, we'll take ourselves out of the market if we don't say yes to that. Yeah, because right? you, you said there isn't, the weight classes are big gaps. There's not a lot of them. Yeah. You can't have three guys on your roster you, you, or our, you got to fill it. Well, the, I, I suppose I maybe misunderstood your question then. So it, I am specifically referring to the game day scenario. Right? Yeah, oh. You know, if you, if you have a coach who coaches people in multiple weight classes, I don't think that's necessarily a conflict of interest because you're trying to get as strong as you can. There's not as much, there's not, you're not trying to keep part of your hand secret or, or you know, it's, it's less of an issue from a training standpoint. So I, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, like if I'm an athlete and my coach coaches uh, someone else in the 120 class, you know, that's fine. You know, it's simply from a competitive standpoint. Right. You know. would, would you feel different if it was your sporting rival whom you're neck and neck with, your coach is phenomenal, and it could make the difference, and the other guy says, I fucking love what you're doing with Mike, and I think if you coach me, I could bump Mike from one to two and approaches your coach, you still feel the same way? Uh, that's, that's difficult, right? So, <laughs> so I think my conception of coaching is relationship plays a, a huge role here. Uh, and if I've cultivated a relationship with one athlete, I feel like I should have a discussion with them first, you know. And, and so 
like I'm working with with Dennis Cornelius now. He didn't he didn't sign up with me until after I had kind of stepped back from competing, and I I'm pretty sure that he waited until that happened. That's fair. And yeah, fair enough, right? Like if you're competitive, then you may be concerned about something there. You know, I don't, I don't think it's, it wouldn't have been an issue for me because I'm not within spitting distance of Dennis, but you know, if that's a concern for him, that's important, you know? Yeah. And I'd say for us in the three scenarios we've encountered uh, with this, where we've kind of had to walk that line, it's delicate. Like these are people that we care about. Um, these are people that I spent hours and hours and hours communicating with. And, um, you know, how, how did those scenarios go? If you don't want to drop names, you don't have to, but did you handle them three different ways? Uh, or did, did you pick when the first one came up, we're like, this is our new policy and it, and you played it all three the same. Yeah, we, we did. Yeah. Um, the, the first scenario, uh, and I love both these guys to death. We're still great friends to this day. Uh, but first scenario was handled in a different way than the second uh last year after worlds um taylor atwood was one and clinton lee was two and uh i was clinton lee's coach for many years um when he kind of came on to the international scene i was there and clinton lee is one of my great friends and he's like hey like start doing some stuff together um so i Initially, I'm excited, right? Start working with a great friend, great athlete, second in the world. And Ben's like, we should talk to Taylor. So we ring him up. We're, we're driving uh, through the mountains that day, and Taylor's not having it. He's like, you know what? Like, he's number two, and, and you know, what are we? Uh, I don't want that to happen. So that's an insight into the athlete's mind. And Taylor and Clinton are friends, too. Uh, you see him on the podium, right? There's an extra moment there of, of smiling, laughing, and, and having a good time up there. Um, so yeah, we we told Clinton, I'm sorry, we can't do this. If you'd like to work with another coach in the strength guys, that's that's fine. But uh, Ben and I, it's Taylor's wishes, and we're not going to go here. Uh, and, and, second and to, scenario. And to that for Taylor, um, again, it would be he might even just have the foresight. I like him. I don't want a conflict of interest to make it awkward, weird, or anything. Fair it's enough. not even a thing where you don't like the guy or you're trying to stop him from growing. You might even be like, I don't want, I actually sure. do like you and don't want it to get a bad situation for seeing. Sometimes the best way is like, if this looks like you have a weird feeling about it and you might end up in a situation we never foresaw and some people get put in weird corners, you might be like, look, you guys, I want, I want Clinton to get good as well, but. I foresee we're getting, it's, if the water's getting murky, I don't think any one of us want this. You're right. Yeah. Fair. That's fair. Scenario two, you're saying? This, well, this is hard stuff. Um, <laughs> scenario two, we had recently uh, sponsored Yuri Roos as an athlete uh, who was 2017 European champion. Met him at the Arnold Classic Grand Prix uh, last year. And about six weeks out from Worlds last year, we get an inquiry from Owen Hubbard. And so Owen comes on board, and uh, Owen wants to work with Ben and I originally. Um, and so we're like, man, we just did this for Taylor. This is all within the span of two weeks. What are we going to do here? It's a good rally TV show. So we talked to Yure, and Yure's like, I accept it, and I understand that I don't have the same position as Taylor within your company, because Taylor's been here realistically since year two. 
like he's been here for over five years now. Um, but I would prefer if it were not you and Ben who were uh, both coaching Owen. And so I communicate to Owen and I'm like, Owen, you know, we've, we've got great coaches on staff. How about Alfred? And so we make Alfred the leader of that consult for Owen. And I'm in there as his co-coach. Mm. So now uh, I know how Yuri's doing and Owen's doing. But I was able to compartmentalize that. And I mean, when you're writing a program, you're just trying to get progress for, yeah. for the person. Like right? Mike said. You're not yeah. thinking like, oh, like, you know, this person's doing this. So I'm going to do this with yeah, this yeah. person. Like it's... It's not shitty like that. Like, you're just doing the best you can. And, and quite frankly, what one guy is doing can't make you weaker or stronger. You're just trying to get him stronger. Yeah, it yeah. is like Mike said, game day strategy. You can fuck around. But in terms of programming, I can make the, your opposition stronger. I can also, I can't, he can't make you weaker. You're only, you know, like, you know, it doesn't matter who else I'm training, that can't make you weaker. So if your job and program is to make them both stronger, fuck it, the, the number 100% version of them is going to hit the platform. Deal with that, but that's probably what they want anyways. Yeah, uh, and then the, the ending of this, this story for this year at the World Championship is very positive. Um, they actually made a bet between Taylor, uh, Ure, and Owen that Lois squat is buying the beers after. <laughs> the lowest. And uh, so there was some camaraderie in the team and some friendly competition. And, uh, you know, I, I let Alfred and, and Henry Tosh and the Great Britain team handle Owen. I cheered for him from the audience. Uh, and Ben and I handled Yuri. Mm -hmm. And afterwards went, went out for burgers together and mm -hmm. had a few good laughs and mm -hmm. it was a good night. Um, so I think it can be handled right, but as a business owner, I would encourage people to think about how you are going to navigate these situations. Ahead of time and have those conversations. Yeah. Look at, I tell you what, my honest opinion, um, it'd be hard. I'm an emotional guy. Like I get emotionally charged. I'm passionate. I, I would say, I would say I'm not emotional. I'm passionate. Um, <laughs> it's more manly. And um, <laughs> if I saw even my coach handling the other guy, I don't know how I'd feel. If you're trying to get psyched up, and I don't know. I don't know if I'd be like, I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't care. It's never happened. That's why it ought to be a conversation, right? At least a conversation. Sure. If I didn't, I think exactly you had the conversation. So if I didn't care, if I'm like, man, it's all good because the national team, the way they're handling, I'm, I'm very comfortable with that, whatever. But I think the end of the day, the takeaway from all of this is um, you have to have these conversations yeah. before. Yeah. And... It's a relatively young sport, and we're seeing scenarios pop up that we had never seen before, and this just happened to be one of them at these worlds, and um, it was a little looser than I'd seen previous, previous worlds where the U.S. coaching staff's like, I got you, he's got, he's got the other person, we don't talk, game on, your strategy versus mine, and um, I don't know, I have, I, I'm not privy to your guys' training more than I could scout and vice versa, you're not privy. My guy's training more than you could scout on the internet, so game on. Whereas this one's a little looser and a little different. So I suppose, um, it's supposed to be completely fair, right? Like we don't know anything that happened in the background. Maybe those conversations did happen. Yeah. Both yeah. athletes were like, yeah, this is, this is fine, it, you know? And hey, if that's fine, then it's fine, you know? I, I think, and that's exactly it. I think, um, and that's uh, one thing I'll say straight up. I think everybody operated with um, a clean conscience and their heart in the right place. And I don't doubt yeah. that for a minute. Right. And, um, and I think 
I think whatever happened, the conversations only they know. So we're completely just guesstimating. It just is a scenario that leads to a conversation that um, whether or not there was, like, I don't think there's any conflict of interest, but it leads to the conversation, what if, so everyone else can prep for the future if they're in a similar situation. They probably had, well, they, they're pretty tight. So they probably had some conversations. They all talk frequently. But it just leads you to think for your two selves, shit, what if I'm in that situation? And it's sometimes good to see. Maybe those guys had that conversation and it was all worked out, whatever. But for everyone else who, I never even thought about this. I'd never seen that shit before in my life. They seen it coming for months, so they probably knew ahead of time what the shit, but for everyone else in the powerlifting community, and it felt weird, um, you know, you have to, you start thinking, well, maybe we need to start adapting a policy for our coaching services because God knows you have, Mike has, uh, I'm pointing to you, we're on fucking audio only. (laughs) (laughs) You you know, you both have so many athletes, eventually it can happen. And uh, you start thinking, do we do a policy or do we want to keep it loose and be like the policy is conversation? Policy is ask the person who's there first and then work from there. And, um, Fuck, who knows? Maybe I will have Joey on eventually. I've had him on a few times and asked, like, because they probably had background talk and then had discussion back there where it was like, maybe Joey said, I'm comfortable with you asking me a little bits, but I gotta, but if I'm handling so and so, I can't go over there. They probably had something worked out, and that's why certain people were coming out with certain lifters. But uh, it is a great case study, I, I admit. And maybe even them, they learn from it afterwards, be like, all right, we had this in place. Theories, one thing, applications, the other. And then afterwards, like, we'll tighten up, change this, that, and the other. We all grow as a sport together. It's interesting. Yeah. It was an interesting... F- Either way, I'll, I'll be honest, I think Amanda Lawrence, regardless, look unstoppable. And I think the stronger person won, so I don't think it changed anything. If I'm totally honest, I think Amanda Lawrence looked fucking phenomenal. That squat that she missed on depth, it was close. I think it was a little high. Some people thought it was on the money. But um, she, it moved so quickly... And her last pull, she held it and smiled like I, so that's why if, if I did, if the stronger person didn't win, people would be talking, but I think there's really nothing needs to be said anyways. It just, you know, it adds to the discussion. You're going to point out, sir. Oh. We have to talk about the 63s. Holy fuck. Um, yeah, Carly Guerra from Italy, uh, who's first off a bench monster, 25 years old, and um, upset Sam Calhoun. That, I didn't see that. I don't think any of us saw that coming. Matt Gary did, but the guy fucking has dossiers on every lifter one through one, one through thirty across the world. You're not safe if you're in like the outskirts of wherever. But he knew when we had the preview show. I was like, I think this is a runaway for Sam. No, I'm looking. This look, I don't recognize anybody. And Matt Gary's like, no, 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 no. And he he broke in his. He opened up his folders um you know he paid off somebody in the fbi who had some and he's like he started running these stats on this girl and i was like holy shit and that's that's his lifter eh? um and and he takes care of you so he said i'm we're watching her and she's gonna bring she's, she's bringing some heat and then when when he said the number she had i was nervous and when he seen unfolding it, her squat her bench and a serviceable dead it started becoming that gap sam said um, we had a little preview show as well with her and some of the other girls from the team. Um, Sam said, I don't, I'm, Calgary's not happening again in terms of me backing down. She's like, if I take silver, fine. On my shield or with the gold, I go though. Like if I'm risking silver 
and I'm pulling for gold or whether silver's secure, I'm pulling for gold. Understand me. We're lowering the bar because I'm not doing that again. She, she didn't like how she felt. I think, you, Mike, you had said earlier, um, if you feel like you gave your all, you're okay with that. Last year in Calgary, after pulling, hitting silver, settling for the silver in the world, I say settling, it's a fucking world silver and world record. She looked back at the video and thought, I think I had a few more kilo, and was like, didn't like that feeling at all. She said she was like depressed for a couple weeks and was like, man, I, it was a bad feeling. And kind of like you said, if it's silver, bronze, whatever, world records, and you felt like I gave my package everything I had, sure. it's different. She said, I'm going, I'm loading it. She loaded for the win, like she said. It's still silver, but it's, it's a different. Now, this time, the expectation was a walk away. And when you get surprised like that and you, and you feel like this is your moment, uh, how did you guys feel about this? Yeah, go ahead, Mike. Uh, well, I, I uh, learned about this competition by listening to your preview show. So I, I heard Matt bring it up. So so, I was, yeah, I, was I learned ready. too. I was, <laughs> yeah. I was watching, you know. Um, and man, it was fun. I, I suppose my main thought on this is uh, so Jennifer Thompson holds the world record bench in the 63s with 144, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And. Uh, Corolla benched 130, missed 135, right? So we're in the neighborhood. And I just think it's interesting. Jen benches you know, 144, and we have conversations like, are we ever going to see this again, right? And is Jen even retired yet? Like, she's still no. an active lifter. Yeah. And, and, you know, here we are. So I, I think it's, it's good for powerlifting to continue pushing boundaries and seeing growth in the sport and... You know, hopefully this continues. That's I, great. I said that in the live stream. I was like, you know, when she loaded up, she loaded up 135. Okay, she hadn't hit it yet uh, or attempted it yet, but she's 25 years old. And she, just for prosperity, she's benched 137 and a half, I think. Okay. Uh, the Italian, 25 years old. So 144, 137 and a half. You do the math, that's close. Yeah, I mean, that's a year or two of quality training. It's, right? it's, it's a Hail Mary pass, and it could be even shorter. So um, when I was saying on a live stream, I was like, we all thought, well, it's going to be those, those bench numbers, those bench records are as safe as any record we have in powerlifting. No? And we're kind of like, they got to be. Because a 63 kilo lady doing that makes, she can make the rounds in terms of mainstream when she hits that. And along comes this Italian lady, 20, 25. Like, she's not even in her prime yet for, for powerlifting. To be an earshot already. It's like, how the fudge? And then Sam Calhoun must be like, how do I get away from these bench monsters, first off? I'm, I'm just going to stop saying that records are out of reach. Yeah, I'm just yeah. never saying that yeah. again. You know? <laughs> yeah, uh, expect the unexpected in powerlifting. Uh, I was watching that, and I was absolutely blown away because uh, I haven't seen Italy at many world championships. I've attended their uh, Italian powerlifting nationals uh, four years ago when Worlds was in Finland. I was in Italy on just backpacking and exploring. Uh, and I was amazed by how many good lifters they had and how many lifters they had. Uh, but for an Italian uh, to come in uh, nominated first and just to, like, walk the walk and, and, and you know, win it, yeah. I, was, I was shocked. I was amazed. And uh, the standards in that class have risen so much. Like, I'm, I'm reading here... The third place total was four ninety and a half. Yeah, like, that's it, crazy. Yeah, it's a it's 
Well, I mean, like we were talking about the 83s. Um, well, we talked about 83 squatting. The 83 deadlifts. Uh, the, one of the guys, a close friend of mine and, and I coach, um, broke the deadlift world record in the 83s. But looking at the podium, number one, and to, make, to take gold and silver in deadlifts in 83, you have to break world records now. Yes. And, and, and by the way, you broke a world record. By the way, here's your silver. Like, the, that's, that's my man, Calf. We broke a world record. Here's your silver medal. And um, what separated gold from bronze, which was Russell Orr, he was a kilo and a half or, or one kilo total. It was, and, and that's the podium for deadlifts. Like, that's, the, that's how far we're going. It's, it's very, very quick. The talent pool is swelling. And that's, that's another thing where I feel like to be a champion four years ago with the amount fewer, because we're exponentially growing, Fewer lifters to rise to the top of a much smaller talent pool. Okay, and and as the as the talent pool grows, to get to the top a lot harder, which makes him uh, uh, Kimberly Walford so crazy in my mind's eye is, you came around. 2012 was the World Raw Cup. 2013 was the first World Championship. You were winning day one, and as everything swelled and all these the freaks come out. The athletic freaks that would have ordinarily won different sports, but now we're winning them over because powerlifting's cool now. You, you stayed, and, and they can't knock you off the podium. Oh, and by the way, pacing-wise, you're in your early 40s now. I, I can't wrap my head. Like, there are people who were, like, champs for, you know, and now they're like, oh, fuck me. I got to get the hell out of here. This is getting crazy. And that's why, like you said, Kimberly, it's, it's there's so many factors in why I think she's the greatest, and that's probably one of them. I'm sure in 25 years' time, it could be over. But, uh, you know, it's, I don't know what the hell we're going to do with 25 years' time, but uh, let's <laughs> not get ahead of ourselves. I know that uh, my colleague Ben Escrow often talks about kind of the changing of the guard that's happened in powerlifting, where really we're getting, like, professional athletes now. Like, I know Taylor Atwood was a professional football running back in mm-hmm. the CFL. Uh, I know Russell Orgy and L.S. McLean, these guys play football as well. Yeah. Like, they're not just, like... You know, you're I normal. think Alice was a cheerleader, and I don't mean that to be flip, but I think he wasn't playing football. I think he's legit. He's a cheerleader. <laughs> They're not he competed normal. in cheerleading, actually. He's, he coaches it now. Yeah, and he, yeah. I think, isn't he crazy? Like, he's a little stocky dude. He can move, no? Pretty sure he's, I don't know, he went to work. Anyways, we're getting off track. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're not your normal, like, just, you know, strong, like, unathletic, uncoordinated, you know, Joe, like these are professional athletes at the top of weight classes yeah. now. And, uh, you know, going back into the previous guard, uh, you have Eli Burks, who Ben said, like, he would always just load it up at the end and pull for the win. And here we are at 2019 Worlds, and he's still doing it. It is nice to see, like, one of the old dogs you recognize. Who, who some of the new social media people would be like, uh, who's this guy? New guy. New guy. Fucking Eli's been around forever. Like Eli's won previously, but he's like uh, a director of a hospital, and he's like so. And and by the way, is Eli like the nicest fucking guy in the world, or what's his deal? The guy is so nice. He came off the platform, and I said Eli. I wasn't even talking to him. I was talking to someone who said his name. Excuse me. Sorry. Sorry. Came like beeline over. Sorry. Did you did you want me? Like I went on backstage, and I just come off the platform in the struggle of my life. I like. Don't make eye contact on purpose. You can say my name. I'm going by you. I'm in the zone. Don't bother me right now. And this guy's like, oh, sorry. He, he, he didn't want to insult. So he's like, I'm sorry. Did you want? Did you? No, oh, man. I'm just talking. I'm just saying your name. Everybody's saying your name back, by, back here, by the way. But, um, yeah, he's like the nicest flipping guy in the world. But, uh, yeah, I, I agree. And what a, what because we're running at an hour 10. 
I want to make sure if there's anybody else. Uh, yeah, Charles Opoko, obviously Fedoshenko running a clinic. Uh, like, he's a good lifter, but he's going to need some competition before. And uh, one of the 120s. Yeah, that, that's the men's. Let's take a look at the women's. I think we had, uh, yeah, we'll say, obviously, Joy Namani in 52 kilo is starting to pull ahead of the pack. Marissa Inda did her thing under bad conditions. I think she went four for nine. It wasn't a great performance. Rough go, a lot of bullshit that she's dealing with. And, um, you know, she, she she's awesome. Born in 76, Joy's born in 92. Someone's, and, and an Olga, who's, who's in bronze, born in 1970, some people got to emerge to push Joy, but Joy's a dominant force. It put together a hell of a clinic. And then we have Heather Connor taking the 47s. Um, again, someone's got to emerge to push her because she did it what she needed to, but she could, she's got more in the tank. She's totaled more. She's pulled more. And um, until she's pushed, uh, you know, it's the same with Joy. Until she's pushed, it's, I think, someone in a league of their own right now. And Bonica, Bonica. Fuck, I get her name wrong. She's going to hear this and want to kill me. <laughs> Damn it. But Bonica is going to Bonica, and she's untouchable. I think that's safe to say. Yeah, she's too strong. She'll, she'll argue that point with you, but that's one thing that I think she's wrong about. She, she, there's a couple divisions. Man, you're never safe. Look, we're having this conversation now a year from now. If we tuck into a change room, it could be like, holy shit, new girl came and um, you know came out of nowhere like our Italian friend and just emerges. And she might be like, not from nowhere, but hustling on the national scene just under the radar. I think, I think fans of powerlifting everywhere love it when that happens. Oh, yeah. yeah. Love, a good, love a good go. Is there any parting, parting thoughts, shots, whatever, uh, that you guys want to get out, or is this, does this pretty much summarize your thoughts on the IPF Worlds we've seen? Well, I think the biggest theme of this year's Worlds, you can look at the nominations, and you can think that you understand the competition, what's going to happen. Uh, there's a reason why you still have to show up and lift the weights yeah. and compete. Uh, powerlifting's not decided before the meet starts. People have to nail their processes in, no matter how good or dominant they look. Yeah. Uh, they've got to show up ready. There's new people coming out of the woodwork, left and right. Um, standards in the sport are rising, and uh, it's been greatly exciting for me and for all of us here at TSG to be a, a part of that, uh, coaching here at the World Championships uh, with our nine athletes. And uh, I walk away so impressed by everything I've seen. And also, hats off to the meet director here, because uh, this is one hell of a venue, yeah. and it felt like a legitimate, you know, absolutely incredible world championship to be to be a part of and to attend. So. If I could add one thing to what you said before I give this to Mike, um, I agree. It, you know, some people say, and I think they might be coming from different federations we're not used to, gravity's gravity, weight is weight, what does it matter if you hit it at a local meet or at the Worlds or at a national meet? My friend... Um, we've seen it time and time again. It fucking matters. Nominations go out the window. Anything. That's why sports are sports. It has to be done in the field where you're uncomfortable. Travel. All the variables. It gets messy. There's a reason. And I think sometimes other federations. I'm not putting making it a federational thing. Putting others down. But if you're not used to um, certain big events and you're kind of used to a record can be broken even at a local meet. What's the difference? Because of that. Exactly. That. The standard has to be held. 
it's international standard and where everyone can see and under everybody showing up and, and gonna push you. You don't do it at a local meet where you're by yourself, you're gonna show up at an international meet, it's gonna be international competition. Oh, and by the way, someone else might also be gunning for that record. Now, how comfortable are you? Because it's not just how strong you are at this level, we've seen strategy and handling. Yeah. It's a whole nother ball game. How about yourself, sir? No, I, I would agree with you that I was talking to Matt about this earlier this week that there's just something different about competing at this meet. Yeah, there's weight cuts and there's travel and time zone differences, but there's something else that I can't put my finger on. I can't explain it, but people feel it. They You show up to, to it's your first Worlds and it's so common to have expectations that are just too high. Yep. And after you get a little bit of experience, you come to realize that there's just something different about competing at, at a world championship. I don't know what it is, but it is. And I think that's that's good enough. Yeah. But yeah, I had a great time. Uh, I, I've been here for about a week now, a week of powerlifting, which has been awesome. Um, <laughs> what a what a meet. This is this is like the best. Uh, I feel like coming to this competition being here for a week, being around the other competitors, uh, coaching people, um, cheering lifters on, and, and just being around it, like, that's it's my tribe, you know? So this, is, this has been a good time. I'm looking forward to the next one. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. We all converge for a couple weeks' time at the same point, and um, for some people, you don't see them for a year. Yeah. You know, I think the last time I saw you was a year ago, Mike. But, uh, I mean, we keep in contact with Skype or whatever, podcasting and stuff like that. But, yeah, for a long, lot of people. And, and it is. It's tribal. We all know what we all go through. We all know what the training's like and what the pressure's like. And we respect it. And nobody else out there will quite get it like we get it. Yeah. Um, I think it's beautifully summarized and a good way to cap this off. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Couldn't, couldn't have asked for two other better people to come on this podcast. And I hope you enjoyed it. And that wraps it up. Peace.